Please take your Bibles tonight to Daniel chapter 6. Uh, JT, I sent you a slide. Uh, I haven't been sending them, so I don't blame you for not checking. But if you go ahead and put that up there whenever you download it, that'd be helpful. Daniel chapter 6, verse number 1. I want to talk to you tonight about this thought, what your Sunday school teacher missed. What your Sunday school teacher missed. Now, if you know anything about the book of Daniel... Daniel chapter 6 is one of the most famous stories in all the Bible. It is a very fun story. It's a very uh, interesting story. It's got action. It's got drama. It's got comedy. It's got everything, all the components for a tremendous story. That's probably the reason why it's taught in Sunday school classes from here to Timbuktu. Every other Sunday, probably, this story is taught. And it's simply this story of Daniel and the lion's den. And I I don't know about you, I love this story. So Daniel chapter 6 tonight, somebody asked me how long the sermon was, and I told them that we're only covering six chapters. And that's the truth. (laughs) So hopefully we can expedite this. I've asked the Lord to help me stay on top of it and move right along. But Daniel chapter 6, verse number 1, we'll read down through verse 23. The Bible says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. And and why was he preferred? Because an excellent spirit was in him. Daniel wasn't in a good situation, but he had an excellent attitude. I think that would be something for you to take to work tomorrow. Maybe you're not in a great situation. Maybe your employer treats you poorly. Maybe you don't exactly enjoy what you're doing. But Daniel was preferred, not because he was a man of God, but because everybody looked at his attitude and said, you know what, that guy's got something. And so uh, a good attitude often reflects what Christ has done in our lives. So Daniel was preferred because an excellent spirit was found in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Verse number 4. Then the presidents and princes sought to find uh, occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. Now, along with a good attitude would also be well accompanied by good integrity. And that was what Daniel had. He was a man with a great attitude, but he wasn't just happy for no reason. He was a man who was blameless before God and before men. And so Daniel right here is showing he's just a man of God, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, And said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it will not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Therefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Verse 10. 
Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, No, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. You see, they got to play in politics. And they convinced the king to do something that in a moment, just a few moments later, he would eventually regret. And now they've got him literally in a stranglehold saying, Oh, king, as much as you want to change it, you just can't. And so we continue the story. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. The king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, Servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest, continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll begin this evening. Father, we pray tonight that you would really help us. Lord, please instruct me, lead me. And Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts to everyone that's in the room. There's not an ear that I am not speaking to, and there's not a heart tonight 
that I pray that your Holy Spirit would not speak to. Lord, please speak to every one of us. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, it's about three months before uh, the year starts, our staff assembles. Our team of leadership assembles to think of what the yearly theme is. And now, I believe that yearly themes are helpful. They're helpful for preachers because they give us direction on what to preach about. Uh, They're helpful for you because you know kind of what our church is doing that year. But I do believe towards the end of the year, we fall away from our themes a little bit. I mean, it's now been almost eight months since we introduced the theme of great and mighty things. And so uh, I do believe we've kind of taken our emphasis off of it. But I do want to ask you this question. How many people want to see great and wonderful things that we can't even explain? I want to see it. And to be honest with you, it's a little shocking to me because that's a weaker answer than what it ought to be. Because there ought not be a voice that's not raised to that question. Every single Christian within the shot of my voice tonight ought to be able to say, Brother Andrew, without any reserve, I want to see wonderful things done in this community as a result of this church. Everybody ought to say that. Are we willing to do whatever it takes, though? You see, the Bible's full of tons of wonderful stories. Tons of Sunday school powerhouse stories, if you will. But there's one thing that's similar about all of them. It all takes an amazing man of God or a woman of God to have faith in God. And as Sunday school teacher myself, sometimes we teach through these powerhouse stories. And it's fun to focus on the miracle, but we often overlook the reason why it happened. Tonight I want to talk to you about what our Sunday school teachers for years and years and years have overlooked in Daniel's life. I want to look at three things this evening. First of all, I want you to see a minimized fiasco. Now take your Bible to chapter number 1, verse number 1. When I said we were preaching over six chapters of the Bible tonight, I wasn't joking. We're starting verse number 1, chapter number 1. And this is one of the things that's the most overlooked in Daniel's life. You see, we respect Daniel for what he did, but we have to understand contextually why he was where he was and what was going on. Verse number 1, chapter number 1, the Bible says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, we might read over that word quickly in our devotions, for it's just another word in the Bible. But when you hear the word besieged, we cannot accurately understand what took place. You see, Daniel had a normal life, just like you or I had. We grew up. I love Brother Sean yesterday. We were at that activity. He said, I grew up in, uh, what was that, Mexico north of the border or something like that. He was talking about Corpus Christi. And we all have unique things about where we grew up. Uh, I grew up right here in Joshua, lived in the same home for all my life. I loved every minute of it except the fact that we didn't have any restaurants and we always had to run up to Burleson. Dairy Queen gets old after a while, amen? Amen. Actually, the first time you eat it, it gets old. (laughs) 
stop sign of Texas and continue on to other restaurants. But uh, uh, I grew up here in Joshua. I, I, I loved it. I'm thankful for the Lord placing me here because of my church, because of my family, because of you. And so I love where I grew up. But Daniel had that as well. It just was in Jerusalem. I mean, everything that he was familiar with, everything that he loved, everything that he worshipped, everything that he idolized was not in Babylon. It was in Jerusalem. And while we are introduced to this thought so quickly, don't overlook why Daniel was where he was is because of a set of really bad circumstances. Daniel wasn't dealt a good hand. His land was besieged. And you can believe what you want, but I believe Daniel could have witnessed the execution of his family. For they came into Babylon and they said, only take those who are of royal blood, only take those that are gifted in science and uh, mathematics. I obviously would be more not in grammar. (laughs) But they said, don't take anybody else but those who are young and talented and of a royal line. It just so happened Daniel fit that bill, but... His family members didn't. And I believe as they came into Daniel's home, and they saw Daniel, a young man probably wearing royal garments, a young man that no doubt was uh, good-looking, a young man that probably was sharp, pulled him out of his home. Well, what'd they do with his family? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the word besieged is not overtake. It is overthrow. It is a very violent word. So they come into Jerusalem, guns a-blazing, swords a-swinging. Daniel didn't have a good set of circumstances. And one thing that we overlook as Sunday school teachers, we always want to get to the awesome stories in Daniel, but don't forget the pain that he had to endure. Man, the minimized fiasco. First of all, his arrival in the land. Man, he had to deal with his family possibly being executed. And even if they weren't executed, no doubt he was exiled from them. You see, there's there's nothing been harder on me in my entire life than the four years of Bible college away from this church, away from deer season in Texas, away from my mama's home cooking, away from Chicken Express tea, away from this place. I loved home. And Daniel's arrival in Babylon was not a pleasant one. He didn't want to go. He had to. That's how he arrived at this place that he is. Secondly, his announcement in the land. Now, verse 5, we see Daniel make his first decision. When he arrives in Babylon, the king tells them to give them a portion of his meat. A daily provision, if you will, verse 5 in chapter 1 says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, we all know how the story goes. Basically, I'll sum it up because we've got to hurry because the bulk of the sermon is not here. It's later on. But Daniel says, I will not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. And the man that's been put in charge of Daniel and his friends, Azariah uh, uh, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, as he's been put in charge of them, Daniel says, you give us the king's meat, but we won't take of it. He says, well, what am I going to do, Daniel? I've got to answer to the king. I've got to give you something. Daniel says, give us pulse and water. In other words, give us nasty stuff. I mean, that's not sweet tea. That's not Dr. Pepper. That's water. 
And water doesn't make anything taste better. I mean, it's even hard to make Kool-Aid make water taste good. Some of you don't agree, but I'm right here because I'm preaching. <laughs> I don't like water, and I definitely wouldn't like the vegetables they serve me. And Daniel says, but the law of Moses says that I'm not to defile myself with what you're offering me, so I will stay true to my God. And at the end of ten days, you just check us and see who looks better, me or these other folks. And Daniel makes his first decision when he arrives in the land. And his announcement was, I will not defile myself. Christian, before we ever get to point two or point three, if you're caught up at the defilement part of this world, you'll never make it. You'll never make an impact for Christ. You'll never change anybody's life. There's no more blessed thing than having a direct influence in the salvation of someone you know. But if you're filthy, God can't use you. Dad, the other day in staff meeting, said that we as a staff are to focus on purifying ourselves, cleansing ourselves. But truly, that's not just the leadership of this church. That ought to be you as well. We are to purify ourselves even as He is pure. And so, His announcement was, I will not defile myself. Finally, His advancement in the land. Now, if you look in verse 18, Daniel, because of his attitude, because of his obedience to God, just like Joseph, God is promoting Daniel through the ranks. Verse 18, Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, and the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. So let's take a look at what Daniel's gone through so far in his life. He has been ripped away from his home, from his family, from familiarity, from comfort, from everything Daniel prefers. He has literally been torn away from it. But he stays faithful to God. And he continues in the law of his God. And he says, I will not defile myself. So you can't read chapter 6 until you understand chapter 1. Because the thing that made Daniel a man of God was not chapter 6. It was his decision in chapter 1. It was when he was just a young man like the youth group I have a privilege to be a leader in. It was when he said, I will not defile myself. And as a young man, he decided to be a leader for his God. And yea, you could even make this statement, an ambassador for his God as he's in a foreign land. The minimized fiasco. Many times you don't understand what Daniel had to go through to get to this point. And our Sunday school teachers over the years have done a great job at teaching the story. But we minimize the problems that Daniel had to face. Secondly, I want you to understand, I want you to look with me, if you will, a misunderstood fervency. Now, the whole crux of the message tonight, and I don't want to hide it from you anymore, is how important prayer is in your life. That's what it boils down to. You see, in Daniel's story, the, the thought process behind the slide and behind all the sermon title and the points tonight is the fact that our Sunday school teachers over the years have made a great big deal out of the lion's den. 
They made a great big deal about Daniel purposing. But really, the biggest deal ought to be made about Daniel praying. You see, there is no lion's den without Daniel praying. And I suggest there is no Daniel without him praying. Because he would have never been the man he was if he had not been a man of prayer. And so, why was he such a prayer? Why have we shrunk that down when it's so important in his life? I don't know. Probably the same reason we shrink it down, even though it's so important in our lives. See, prayer is vital to your growth. It's vital for your existence. And it's vital for us to change this old wicked world that we are. Hope you understand the pain that Daniel's had to go through to get where he is. Misunderstood fervency. Look with me in chapter 2. I want you to understand how Daniel's life was constantly changing. Daniel chapter 2. We see a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the same man who besieged Jerusalem. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty sharp guy, and so he calls all of his astrologers, all of his magicians, all of his wise men in. And he says, I've had a dream, but what I want you to do is I want you to interpret the dream. They say, okay, king, that's fine, that's what we're here for. Go ahead and tell us the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, being a wise king, says, well, guys... Y'all could just make something up if I told y'all the dream. So I want you to tell me the dream. And then I want you to give me the interpretation of the dream. Now this catches a lot of them way off guard. This is like your boss asking you to have an idea, present the idea, and then execute the idea. You just sit there and say, oh, I hope I don't get fired. (laughs) That's the way I feel in staff meeting anyway. Maybe you don't. You see, this is intimidating for them, guys. They say, well, this has never been asked of anybody in your kingdom. This is kind of a strange thing. So it angers the king. And the king says, okay, since you're not willing to do what I've asked, I want every wise man executed. That's only been threatened one time in our staff meeting. Good thing is there was no wise men in the room. So, oh, come on, work with me, folks. That's good. Thanks, brother Doug. Me and you, we'll go get Dairy Queen after this, right? You see, Daniel now is considered one of these wise men. Why was he brought from Jerusalem? Because he was gifted in mathematics and reading and science and he was a sharp looking kid and so Daniel by virtue of why he was brought to Babylon is now going to be executed because he's a wise man and so Daniel says well what's all the fiasco about what's all this going on and so Daniel finds out that the kings had a dream look with me in verse 27 of this chapter verse 27 The Bible says, uh, let's see, verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers show unto the king, but there is a God in heaven 
that no, revealeth secrets and making no, maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And Daniel goes on to explain to him what takes place in his dream. You see, Daniel's just a little boy who got ripped from his home. And now, because of nobody in the land can interpret the dream, now Daniel's about to be executed. Can you imagine the, the shuffle that's going on in Daniel's life? He's just one day ripped from his home. Now he's a slave. Now he's being taught a new language, a new lifestyle. And then one day it says, hey, uh, hate to break it to you guys, but pretty much everybody's getting executed that can't tell the dream of the king. And his world was constantly changing. Very similar to how constantly changing our world is. You see, the world that my grandfather grew up is not the same world that we live in today. Uh, it's much... it's progressing at a rate because of technology, because of travel, because of politics, because of economics. Our world is constantly changing. Ten years ago, who would have thought that your cell phone would have required your fingerprint to open? Much less that you could track yourself or your wife track you while you're bow fishing on Lake Whitney. That's a little creepy. Not that my wife does it. You're okay, honey. You can do that if you want. You let me go bow fishing. You can track me all the time. But it's a little crazy when you hit that little locate button and a little satellite that shows you the actual satellite imagery of where you're standing zooms down on Walmart in the hunting and fishing section and says, you're looking at the Rapala 5-inch wounded shad. That's a little odd. Technology is advancing. Our world's constantly changing. It's affecting religion. What do you mean by that, Brother Andrew? I mean, when you look in town and you see 17 Baptist churches and not one of them's remotely alike, is that a little odd? Our world is changing, just like Daniel's world is changing. Uh, secondly, I want you to notice his world was challenging. Look in verse number 3. Now, this is another powerhouse chapter in the Word of God. But the thing is, Daniel's not mentioned in it. Now, if you'll notice in chapter 2, verse 48, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So what has Daniel been promoted to? A ruler over the whole province of Babylon. I don't know how you like to say, but we'll call him the vice king, if you will. He's not the king, but he's ruler over the whole province. And that's Daniel's position. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So Daniel's the vice king, and Daniel's now acquired Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be his help. And these guys are going to run errands for him. They're going to oversee things. So Daniel's the ruler of the uh, province of Babylon, and these three are his associates. Bear with me. Y'all got that? Everybody good? Y'all look a little tired and a little glazed over. We good? Okay, here we are. Chapter number three. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes and the governors and the captains and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Now, does anybody know where this story's going? We all remember this story, don't we? This is the three Hebrew children who will not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's image. But where's Daniel? I mean, these are his friends. In fact, they're his help. Daniel's the ruler of the whole province, and these guys are his associates. Now, the Bible never tells us where Daniel is, but I know if Daniel had been there, he would not have bowed. But this is his world now. This is where he lives. They're in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar makes an image and says, at what time you hear all the types of music, every single person, every tribe, every tongue, every kindred will bow down to me. And just like the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, we will not bow down. Look down in the chapter. I want you to notice this. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Verse, uh, uh, let me see. Verse number 13. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible right here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we're not going to give you the respect that you deserve as king because my king calls me to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm not going to be careful here. I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, almost sarcastically. Because he said, and who is that God? And they say, oh, and he will deliver us out of your puny little hand. That's the way I read it. I'm adding, that's the AKJV, Andrew's King James Version. I'm sorry, it's not quite as inspired as ours, but they say, oh king, our God has no problem delivering us from you. Verse 18. But if not, even if God chooses not to deliver us, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Do you understand the challenge that is facing these young men? They're living in a foreign land 
with gods they don't serve, ever present, all around. They are the minority. Everybody else is bowing down. And I don't know where Daniel is, but if he had been there, he'd have been standing side by side, arm in arm, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, O king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from thee. He'd have been right there standing with them. The world was changing. And the world was now challenging the very faith that they learned when they were just children in Jerusalem. And these men stood unwaveringly said, I will not change with the times and I will not bow to your God. Our world today is changing and challenging your faith. You go sit in one lecture at a public university and see if science doesn't challenge your faith. I can't even watch brain games on the National Geographic channel for anger at how much they're shoving that my father was a monkey down my throat. You see, it's so frustrating that our world is ever-changing, and every single day I turn on my television, there's more and more filthy television shows, but that's not the problem. It's the commercials I have to endure to get to the clean program. Our world is challenging our faith, Christian. And you, like these young men, have the opportunity to bow. Or have the opportunity to stand with a backbone like a railroad tie and said, I'm not going to bow down to this world. I don't care if I am the minority. I will stand for my king. You see, the challenge lies before you. But don't overlook how rough Daniel has it. Sure, he was promoted by God. Sure, he had God's favor. But at the end of the day, he was in a place that was very uncomfortable and very difficult to live. The world was constantly changing. It was challenging their faith. But finally, it was a world that was corroding. Look in chapter number 4. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And obviously, since Daniel was the young man who interpreted his last one, Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel again. But the dream is very different, and you can take time to study it if you want. But it's about a tree, and that tree grows, and it's healthy. And then in the dream, an angel comes and basically curses the tree, and everything begins to disintegrate, it begins to fall away, and that's the dream. And Daniel tells the king that he says, King, and you can study it, we don't have time, I've got to hurry. He says, King, basically what God's trying to tell you is, You are claiming that this kingdom is your own. You're acting like you've done this in your own power, but God gave you this kingdom. And he says, Daniel says, if you will but heed my counsel, repent from your sin. See, I want you to notice this. In verse 27, look, the Bible says, uh, in chapter number 4, verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to thee, And break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. In other words, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream that said, Nebuchadnezzar, his reign would end and he would be driven out into the field like an ox and an eagle. And that's the dream. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't repent. 
He doesn't get right. And so you see the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that dream, here at the end of chapter number 4. Nebuchadnezzar does not repent. And now he's driven out into the wild and eats just like an ox does. And his hair grows out and his fingers grow long just like an eagle's does. And you can take time to study that, but that's the dream. Now in chapter 5, we have one king that's missing in action because he's eaten wheat on the back 40. We have another king who now takes his place in chapter number 5. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to thousands of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar. So we learn his relationship and why he assumed the throne. Nebuchadnezzar is out eating oats, and Belshazzar takes the throne because his father is being crazy, and so the son assumes the throne, and they're having a feast. And Belshazzar uh, takes out the, uh, the silver and the gold vessels that were taken from Jerusalem. He says, hey, go fetch those. Verse number 2, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. You see, so far up until this point, Daniel has only had to live with other people's religion. Now, he's having to deal with people blaspheming his own religion. See, Nebuchadnezzar ransacked, he besieged Jerusalem. And while he besieged it, he grabbed vessels from the temple, very special vessels. And now, Daniel has to sit back and watch a wicked king who does not serve God, who does not care about God, drink wine from his special vessels. You see, it wasn't a problem until they started stomping on his religion. And the world got so increasingly brazen with their remarks and with their actions that Daniel had to deal with this type of lifestyle in this type of land. Can you imagine? I mean, they are corroding at the very core. If you know anything about Daniel, this is where the writing on the wall takes place. And Daniel's called in to read the writing on the wall, and just like the message that his father receives in chapter 4, Belshazzar receives a very similar message, and Daniel basically tells him, King, your father was arrogant with the kingdom that God had given him. And if you don't repent, you're being the exact same way, and God will take your kingdom from you. You see, this land is literally corroding Daniel's religion. They are literally changing everything that he cares about. You see, he has not seen Jerusalem. He has not seen the temple. The only relics that Daniel can hold on to while he's in this land is the vessels that they are now drinking from. You want to know it's corroding? This world is getting more wicked and wicked every day. It is getting filthier and filthier. And sin is more readily, readily available now than it used to be at, at any time and any point in history. You see, you don't have to be a whoremonger these days. All you have to be is know how to work your cell phone. It's a shame that we would have commercials come on our television about, oh, you went out of your marriage? Oh, here's an affair website. 
I'm watching the hunting channel that mess comes on. It is filthy. This world is getting wicked and wicked and wicked. This is what Daniel has to live with. And you want to know why he was a fervent prayer? You want to know why he put an emphasis on prayer? Because his world was messed up. You know why we as Christians ought to put an emphasis on prayer? Because our world is messed up. Even religion is making exceptions for sin now. I saw them interview a homosexual pastor the other day. This world's getting crazy, man. And I'm thankful that I know because the shape this world is in and the things going on in the Middle East, I'm thankful that I'm looking for every cloud because Christ is coming back soon. But while I'm on this earth, is it not my obligation to pray? You see, we talk about soul winning. We talk about evangelism like they're good acts, but if they're not in the power of a man praying that God would do something through him, it's all in vain. You see, the reason I don't get up here without praying is because I have nothing to offer you. And I have to summon the Holy Ghost, and I have to summon God to help me because I intellectually am completely average, if not below average. As far as personality goes, I'm awkward at times. As far as looks goes, I'm not the most attractive person. My face turns red like a tomato. I look more like veggie tails than I do a man of God. But I'm saying the reason that we ought to be prayers is because our world needs us to be prayers. This church needs you to be a prayer. Say, what am I going to pray about? I don't know. Look at all the members that aren't here tonight. Pray that that revival fire would strike this place. Pray that lost souls would come to hear the gospel. Pray that this church would have a direct impact and the the changing of this community. Pray. Find something to pray about. You've got to because our world is growing increasingly increasingly darker. You know, I'm all for the lion's den, but there is no lion's den without prayer. And I promise you this, there's no miracle within these walls or outside these walls without it's accompanied by prayer. You know how people have lost their tear in the church? Because they've lost their tear by their bedside. You want to know why it's difficult to come down to the altar? Because we don't practice it in our closet. Why aren't we a praying church? I mean, sure, Daniel had it rough. But every once in a while, when you look at this world, does it not appear like we're just strangers in a foreign land? Wicked. Man, we church, I summon you, I beg you, I plead with you. Don't be ashamed to pray. Don't be too good to pray. Don't act like we have this thing figured out because there is nothing that we have figured out. We need the Spirit of the Lord to start a revival here in this community and in this church and in each and, each and every one of our hearts. Daniel's circumstances were bad, but we have a misunderstanding of his fervency. Why did he pray? Because he needed to.
Finally, I want you to notice this. We have had a misplaced focus in the story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Now this is our passage. This is where we find our story. This is where we read at the beginning. Verse number 7, I want to look at three things out of this chapter and out of our passage tonight. First of all, in verse number 7, I want to look at the rite of prayer. What we have overlooked in the story of Daniel, verse number 7. All the presidents of the kingdoms, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. You see, Daniel, up until this point, has enjoyed freedom to pray. And really, if you read the book of Daniel, you understand that God had his hand on Daniel so much so that king after king... As another kingdom moves in, the Medes and Persians, now Darius is on the throne. And with each and every one of them, God gives Daniel favor in their kingdom. So much so that Daniel was able to pray freely every time. But here in Daniel chapter 6, we see a group of people who are envious of Daniel, who are angry at Daniel, who are bitter at Daniel. They decide to take away that right. So they slip in this decree, very similar to how our politicians slip in decrees for us to deal with these days. But they slip in a decree to Daniel, or, or to Darius, and they say, King, we want you to deserve all the respect that you, you get all the respect you deserve. King, we want you to enjoy that. King, you are our sovereign here on earth. So for 30 days, that's not that long a time. We want nobody to pray but to you only knowing full well how bad it would affect Daniel, but Darius doesn't think about it, signs the decree, seals the decree. See, up until this point, Daniel has had every right to pray until today. It's yanked away from him. The freedom to pray is removed from Daniel's life. Now, I'm so thankful that I was raised. I'm so thankful that God blessed me to be born in this country. I'm so thankful I've never had to carry my backpack to a church because I had to act like I was going to English class instead I was going to a Bible study. So thankful I didn't have to pretend like I was an underground church. That way the KGB would not bust through my door with weapons telling me to get on the floor because I had a Bible in my hand. I'm thankful God allowed me to be born here. But because I was born here and because you were born here, how familiar we are with religion. We have been inundated with sermons and with lessons and with prayers. Man, we pray nine times uh, every day at church. We have an opening prayer. We have an offering prayer. We usually have an invitation prayer. We have prayers all the time. And we really lose its significance. But think with me, if you will, what if we woke up tomorrow and there's a piece of legislation that passed that said you could no longer pray? That's what happened to Daniel. It hit him like a ton of bricks. For this was his habit and no longer could he practice. The thing that I'm afraid of is it wouldn't really change most of our schedules. 
I mean, we wouldn't have to really rearrange anything because we weren't rearranging anything before for prayer. It's yanked away from Daniel all of a sudden. You ever heard that phrase, you don't really know what you have until you don't have it anymore? Just because we have it, don't overlook its importance. We can pray at lunch. We can pray, man, I I love going to a restaurant and seeing a family come in, sit down at the table next to me and see them all grab hands and start praying for their food. I, I, I nudge my wife and say, hey, look at that. In other words, hey, they're on our team. But don't don't let it become familiar. Because familiarity breeds indifference. Familiarity breeds no longer wanting to do it. And we lose its significance. But the moment it was yanked away from Daniel, you know what the first thing he did was? He said, I'm going to do it just like I've always done it. Oh, man, don't, don't overlook the importance of prayer. I'm not doing a very good job at presenting this, I know, but I pray and I hope that if one thing is conveyed tonight, it's that prayer is so important. It's so vital if this church is ever going to grow, if we're ever going to see salvation. Man, I'm tired of hearing, I don't want this to sound bad, I'm tired of hearing a single-digit salvation Sundays. I, I get tired of preachers coming to me, man, we saw two saved. Man, I wish we saw 200 saved. I'm thankful for what the Lord's doing, but if we would just fall on our face before Him as effectual, fervent prayers, righteous people praying to our God, I know He'll do great and wonderful things. Man, I just hope we don't, because we're so familiar with it, we don't overlook its importance. The right to pray. Secondly, the ritual of prayer. Look in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed... He went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. In other words, the reason these guys knew they could get Daniel is because they knew that Daniel did it consistently. It was something that was so much a part of Daniel's day. It was almost like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You knew where Daniel would be. He'd be on his face before his God, asking for his help. And I just wonder today, if I set out a a team of private investigators, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and I turn them on you with all the technology that they have with the satellite imagery, with the infrared that's able to see through your home, I wonder if they would ever find enough evidence for you being a Christian to convict you. I mean, would they really find enough evidence? I mean, these guys had no problem finding enough evidence to convict Daniel. I worry about us. It was a ritual in Daniel's life, and not like a relic ritual. It was a habitual ritual. It was something he did. It was so much a part of him that it was his life. He did it every day. And I pray that you as a man, uh, as a leader in your home, you wake up in the morning and you ask God to make you as good a leader as you can be. I pray that when you wake up in the morning, you ask the Lord to help you be the man that your family deserves. I pray that when you wake up in the morning, you pray that you're the employee that your employer deserves. 
I pray at the end of the day you pray that everybody that saw you today saw not you but a representation of Jesus Christ walking on this earth. That's what I hope. That's what I pray. It was a ritual in Daniel's life, and I'm ashamed to say I don't think it would be a ritual in most of ours. Finally, I want you to notice this, the rescue of prayer. Now, I don't know if you know this, but prayer works. And I think one of the saddest things about Christianity is our lack of emphasis on prayer shows our lack of faith towards our God. You see, we don't pray because we don't believe he'll change the situation. If we truly did believe revival would strike out, then why wouldn't we pray fervently for it? If it's something we desire to see great and mighty things, then why wouldn't we beg God for it if we know he can provide it? I'm afraid to say that most of us don't really trust in the rescue part of prayer. See, Daniel needed it because he unashamedly opened his windows, opened the curtains, let everybody see it was the same thing he did every day. So he's thrown into the lion's den. Verse 21, the Bible says, Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth, but they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. In other words, as I love this picture in the Bible as the king runs to the tomb early in the morning. You ever lost a night's sleep because there's something big the next day coming up? I know opening day of deer season, I usually have trouble sleeping the night before. Some of you are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Okay, well, for some of you it's Black Friday, so... I'm not as silly as you think. See, there's no lines waiting to get in my deer stand. There's lines to buy that flat screen TV. But you ever had something so big the next day that you had trouble sleeping? That's the way the king was. He felt bad about what took place. He knew that it was in his vanity that he signed that decree. And now because of his own vanity and pride, Daniel was going to suffer. And that night, the Bible says that he fasted for Daniel. He, he knew that Daniel's God could deliver him because if you look in the Bible, right before he sends Daniel in there, he says, Daniel, your God is able to deliver you. Daniel doesn't say it. The king says it. And all night long, the king tossed and turned. And I would beg to say, I think that Daniel had a better night's sleep than Darius. See, lions are occasionally comfortable when you put your head on them the right way. And that's where Daniel was. Daniel was in the lion's den and Darius was tossing and turning. The next morning, the very first thing Darius could do, I bet he was watching his clock, his sundial. I I guess they had those. I don't know. I guess he was watching the clock. He he heard the rooster crow. He saw the sun rise. And the very first thing he did was run to the den, run to the lion's den. He said, take off the door, take off the door. They roll the stone back and he calls out to Daniel with a lamentable voice. In other words, almost afraid of the answer that he might not get. Daniel, Daniel, did your God deliver you? I don't know if it was a moment or two of silence, but oh, Daniel says, Hey, king! You would not believe how comfortable a lion is. 
that king is so filled with enthusiasm, that king is so overjoyed that his mistake did not wind up hurting Daniel. Daniel's a great man and God, his God delivered him. Now that's the part Sunday school teachers teach. But it all ties back to prayer. The fact of the matter is I don't think Daniel slept much that night. I think he prayed. Because he was a man of prayer. Let me ask you one question we're done. What is it in this world you would die for? For some men, it's country. And I'm thankful for those men that have died for our country. For some men, it's their family. And I hope if you're a man and worth anything, you would die for your family. What is it, though? For Daniel, he was willing to die for prayer. Not something he could touch. Not something he could feel. It was prayer. And Daniel knew the circumstances. Daniel knew the punishment. And Daniel was willing to die for it. That's why he was a man of prayer. It's because that's how much he valued it. See, there's nothing in this world more special to me than my wife and my daughter. If you've seen my daughter, you would understand why. She's adorable. She's trying to walk now. She cussed for the first time the other day. I was like, Amy, what are you teaching her? No, I'm just kidding. She has a favorite word she says. Apparently, she already has an imaginary friend named Bob because she sits in her car seat going, Bob, 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 Bob. Bob, 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 Bob. She might be ordering from Whataburger. You never know. That's how Amy orders at Whataburger. Bob, 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 Bob. See, I would never... If I could do anything in my power, I would jump in front of a bullet. I would, I would hopefully, I could remove buses. I would, I would jump in front of a bus. I would lay down my life on a railroad track because they're important to me. But would we do the same thing for prayer? See, the fact of the matter is most of us don't spend any time in prayer. So we wouldn't know the power that it has or the intimacy it gives us with our God. I don't want this church to plateau. There's no neutral gear in a church. There's drive and there's reverse. And with everything in me, I will do anything that I can to make this church keep growing spiritually, numerically. I, I want nothing more than that. But if I, as pastor of this church, don't bow my head and pray for it, all my other efforts are in vain. And if you, as member of this church, attend Saturday soul winning, Sunday afternoon prayer meeting, uh, uh, come to Sunday school, if you do all those things, and by your bedside you don't kneel down and pray for the leadership of this church and pray for the growth of this church and pray for salvations in this church, we'll never see it happen. Man, I want to be a church of prayer. I, I would love to be a good preacher. I, I would love one day for people to be blessed by my message. 
But if I'm a good preacher and a bad prayer, I'll never do anything for God. A famous evangelist said, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. We're not going to change this world. This world is wicked as can be. We're not going to change it with our clever messages, with our beautiful tracks. It's going to be through prayer. And that was the only way that Daniel had any influence on his world that he found himself in. Are you someone that puts emphasis on prayer? I mean, when you wake up in the morning or when you go on your break tomorrow or when you lay your head down at night, will your family and will your church and will your country be important to you as you go to your God? Or will you go to Him at all? Man, I want to be a church of prayer. And I hope that you desire to be a person of prayer.